Do you know who you are? It's such an important question because if you don't know who you are, someone else will tell you who you are. And especially there's an enemy who will tell you what you are. And that can be very dangerous because Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks within himself, so he will be. I tell this story when I travel around and have opportunities to teach about Jesus. It was back in about 93, I was speaking at LSU, and there were about four or 500 collegians, my first time there. And I, they had a platform about four feet high, and I, I hate platforms, you know, because it's so separated from the people you're talking to. So I jumped off the platform and started moving towards those kids. And I came up to first boy sitting right up here on the left, and I said, hi, I'm Frank, who are you? And his eyes were about that big around, you know, and he said, I'm Kalen. I said, well, who are you, Kalen? He said, I'm an engineering student. I said, oh, okay, and who are you? I'm Susie. I said, well, who are you, Susie? Well, I'm a, a nursing student. Oh, okay, who are you? I'm Mark. I'm a grad assistant. And who are you? I'm Eric. I'm a campus crusade staffer. And I did it about eight or ten times. And I stopped and I said, I thought I was on a college campus. You know, on a college campus, people are supposed to be smart. And y'all are not very smart. And I had their attention. I said, I've asked you a question. Not a one of you has answered it. I keep asking who you are, and you keep telling me what you do. What's the matter with you? Don't you know who you are? You know, that's exactly the problem. You don't. You think you are what you do, which is the oldest bill of goods that Satan ever sold humanity. The New Testament and the Old Testament are very, very clear and in cooperation with each other. Identity is determined by birth. And there are only two kinds of people in the world. Only two identities. Those that were born in Adam. And everybody in this room qualifies. And those who got reborn in Christ and got a new identity. And if you really understood the issue, young man, you should have said, I'm a child of God who's going to go into engineering. And I'm a child of God who's going to go into nursing. And I'm a child of God who's a campus crusade staffer. And you of all people ought to know it because you're teaching other people. Identity. It's the issue we're going to deal with today, Timmy. I thought that video was so good. Yeah. Because it really encapsulated everything we're going to say. We're going to dig into it a little deeper. Um, and you just said there's two identities. There's either in Christ or really the other one is in Adam. A few weeks ago, in the study of Jude, Frank and I um, alluded to some conversations, some, some situations where we were led to go to explore some teachings that were presented to us. You remember this? And we said that we didn't want to watch it alone, that we were going to watch it together because we wanted two sets of eyes to um, more discernment, that sort of thing. Today's teaching, um, and we have said back then that the, what we were hearing was very much in line with what we saw Jude warning us against in the church and false teaching. And today's message really is largely a result of those conversations, those teachings, those situations that we were involved in. It's not only a result of that. It's been stemming for a while. Um, it's a sensitive topic, but our intention today is to shepherd and equip the body of Christ, the saints, against this increasing tide of pressure 
on this issue. Yeah, it's it's not just a tide, it's a wave. Yeah, a tidal wave. You you can't turn on the TV, you can't pick up a newspaper without having this agenda thrust upon you. Yes. And and I think when it comes from the world, we can identify it more readily. Yes, sir. But the people that approached us were not coming from the world. They were coming from within. So this pressure is not just going to come from the world. It's coming from the church. And so our heart today is very much in line with what we saw in Jude as the marching orders. We want to keep in the love of God. That's the goal today. We want that love to be expressed, to be affirmed, to be singular in its approach in terms of not rejecting the truth to be love, but accepting the truth, being the truth as love. And... Um, we want to stay alert against anything that would teach against it. And remembering that the love of God is always corrective. You know what I mean by that? In Hebrews it says, God disciplines those that he loves. He wants to bring you into, as we saw last week in Psalm 23, the right path. So that your experience will be one of peace and joy and righteousness. Okay. So we're going to do that out of Romans. Uh, chapter 1, why don't we all turn there and stand together. And Tim, you want to read this passage for us? Sure. It's going to be a chunk. We're going to read Romans chapter 1 from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Hmm. Paul writing, he says, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they did... For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of, of God for a lie and worshiped and served the cre creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Father, our hearts today are not to be critical nor condemning but to be lovingly corrective to be proclaimers of truth 
with love. Like Paul said, speak the truth, but always do it in love. We pray that by the power of your spirit, what we say today will be clear and concise, easily knit to the heart of every saint. And my prayer, and I know Tim's too, is that every one of us would walk out of this place today with a greater spirit of love and a desire to reach others with the truth that sets men free. That's our prayer. We trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now today we're going to deal with one of these issues out of Romans 1. And what I would share with you right off is this. I've been teaching this Bible for over 30 years. To the best of my knowledge, I have never addressed a specific sin issue. Because if you understand the New Testament, it's not the issue. Sins are simply a symptom. The goal of the New Testament is not to stop sinning. We are not behavior modificationists in the body of Christ. We are resurrectionists. The problem is that, one, there is either no life within an individual, so they are simply ministering the death that's in them, or they have life in them as a believer, but are not depending on that life and choosing with their will to live out of the flesh. <clears throat> it's new covenant. As we saw earlier, there's only two identities in the world. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Or you're either a believer or an unbeliever. There's only two identities there are. And again, we're not a sin-conscious people. I just had a thought, Tim, in 1 John. It says, the one who abides in him will not sin. It doesn't say the one who will not sin will be abiding in him. That's right. So we're not a sin-conscious people. We're a Jesus people. Because his life in us is the only way to defeat the flesh. That's right. I want you to look at this list in Romans, filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness. Have we touched you lately? Yep. Covetousness means you wanted what somebody else had. Backbiters, whisperers, gossipers, slanderers. Envy, strife, Disobedient to parents. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at another list. Verse 9. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Here's my question. I'm going to ask you to do something I've never really done before, but we, we need to address this. If you ever were in that list, behaviorally, at some point in your life, would you all stand up? <laughs> my, my, my. 
What's the point? Look at verse 9, and I think we'll see it. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then skip down. Verse 11. Such were some of you. That was the list you were on. But in Christ, that's not the list you're on anymore. Yeah, hallelujah. You were washed. You were sanctified. You've become a child of God. But my point is this. We all share the same root. So how should we look at anybody today who's in that list? Do we look at them with an air of superiority? You can't do that. You came from the same roots. Do you look at them with condemnation on your lips? You can't do that. You were from the same list. If ever in the world there was to be a place of compassion and mercy and kindness with truth, don't neglect that one. It should be the body of Christ. So we want to make that point before we go any further. You all sit down. Because we're going to deal with one specific issue on this list. And that is the issue of homosexuality. It's, it's a sensitive issue for obvious reasons. And I think Frank, when he just said, there are only two identities. I want to start there, if that's okay. That's okay. a great point to start. Because that's where Romans is beginning. This list in Romans is the result of man going his own way and God letting him do that. This list in Romans... Is a, is a byproduct of independence. Does that make sense? That's what's happened. And so what's afforded to a man, to a person that is born in Adam? He just read the list. That's available and afforded to every person who has the identity of being an unbeliever or in Adam or I forgot the other one you said. But you get the point, right? That's the only identity that they would have. In many ways, I think what, the, what has happened is in the church's response to people in that condition, there's been an unloving approach. In order to protect the character of God or the righteousness of God, many times the church will be throwing out the love. I mean, they'll throw away the love of God. Let me say it this way. If we want to herald God's righteousness and His truth, we have to understand that that righteousness and truth are embodied in the same God who is love. They cannot be separated and then spoken of individually. Because once you separate the righteousness of God from the love of God, you lose both. They have to be consistent because they are consistent with His character. I'll give you an example of what I mean. This has been the long historical response of the church to the homosexual. Please hear this. You've heard something like it in some way or form. That's not how you were born. That's a choice you're making. Have you ever heard something to that degree? Something, something like that. May I just tell you that I believe what Romans is teaching something very different from that? I don't think there's much love in that statement. I have dealt with too many, and I have not dealt with a lot, but I've dealt with too many that have shared with me their story and where they got there and how they have felt like this for all of the, their life. For as long as they can remember, this is 
who they have been. And for me to say, no, I think at 13, puberty hit, and you woke up and made a choice that's inconsistent with how you were born is to serve them an unloving comment. Scripture is teaching that sinful man born in Adam is born with any proclivity of sin available to him. I, I don't so, for example, let's give an example. I was born with a propensity to lie. I was born with a propensity to steal. Born with a propensity for pride. Those were all on that list that we've already seen. What else is included in that list? Homosexuality. Right. So when somebody comes and says, I was born this way, what do we say as a church? Of course you were. In Adam. In Adam. Here's what's wanting to be defended by the church, and I get this. I just Remember, we said our goal here is to equip. The church wants to defend that God didn't design anybody that way. We know that. Between God's design of mankind and the birthing of that mankind, there's been a fall. Hmm. And because of that fall, man has been birthed into a marred image of God, a dysfunctional, a dead design, if that makes any sense. We're not born in the original design. So when somebody says, I was born that way... Confirm it. In Genesis, it says, Adam was made in the image and likeness of... God. God. Cain was born in the image and likeness of Adam. Adam. Right. Hear it? Amen. Hear it? So, <laughs> so, so watch how I think if we would, and, and instantly, can I, can I share with you in my experience? They're fighting not what I'm about to say to them because they have no idea. They're fighting what the long history of the church has said to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm fighting against it too. And I told Frank, I said, there are times where I see what the church is heralding, whether it's a church in, in middle America heralding this hate message and following groups around at funerals and different things and picketing and saying this in the righteousness of God. And to do it, the world is responding by going, there's no love in that. And I'm saying, I no more identify with that than I do with the message that's coming from the world that there is no truth if there's love. Mm -hmm. That you have to throw truth away in order to be loving. Yeah, I would like to talk to some of those people that are doing that. Absolutely. Because as they come along and put up placards, God hates, and then puts these very derogatory words, I would like to take them to Proverbs 6. There are six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination to him. You know what's first on the list? A proud look. A proud look. See, this is very important that we understand this, Tim. It's Matthew chapter 7. Because when we do look at homosexual behavior and we do try to love those people into life, many people, and we do this with, with all sins in the body of Christ. You're judging me. You're judging me. Well, of course I am. Matthew 7 says, don't judge. Read the rest of the chapter. Yes, Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged. And then he said, take the log out of your eye first so that you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he adds, judge in the way you want to be judged. When we do judge, we judge with mercy, with love, with compassion. Because we still all struggle with our flesh, don't we? And I want to judge with mercy because when I fall in my flesh, I want to be judged with mercy. You know? Yes. 
So, so the heart issue of the church has been wrong here. And there, there are emotional ties into this. Mm-hmm. We have to be honest about it. It's the first one mentioned in the list in Romans, once God gives them over. But it's not the only one, mm-hmm. right? But it is the first one. I wonder sometimes if it's the most impactful one, mm-hmm. the most devastating. Because when, when we identify with our sexuality, and by the way, I will say if there's only two identities in the world, it's either in Christ or in Adam then there's no identity even with your sexuality or your gender or your race or anything. Not first. Identity comes solely from whether you're in Adam or in Christ. So I'm not a man who is a Christian. I'm a Christian. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Galatians 3 says, In Christ there is no Jew or Greek. There is no male or female. Mm Gender is at the level of the soul. We're talking spiritual identity. We're talking truth. And at that level... We don't make distinctions on gender or sexual preference or hair color or race or economic status. We make no preference there. Yeah, just like when we discipline our children as believers. When my son lies, I don't say to him, you're a liar. I say you're a child of God and you're not acting like who you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're lying. So here's, here's a phrase we're hearing more and more. The homosexual Christian. Please hear me. If we agree with that phrase, we're gonna ha- we have no way of loving them. There is no way to love. It's a lie to begin with. There's no such thing as a homosexual Christian. It's identifying first with something that God doesn't. Do you hear that? There, is Chris- there are Christians, and some struggle with homosexuality, and some struggle with greed, and some struggle with strife and gossip and all of that stuff. But the identity has to be first as a Christian because it's on that basis that we can accept the person without condoning the sin. It's on that basis that we can say, I love you even though I don't agree with it. And the world cannot distinguish behavior from identity. So if you don't love it, what it's doing, then you don't love them. Do you see that? Yeah. It's the and, new covenant believer that can distinguish them. And that was the agenda that you and I encountered on those teachings a couple of weeks ago. We were being told that if we didn't accept the behavior, we weren't accepting the people. And that, that's just not the truth. That's right. We, we want to love the people enough to help them out of the behavior. That's right. And unfortunately, love the sinner, hate the sin, let's be honest, has largely and for too long been nothing but mere cliche in the church. We have not backed it up with action. That's right. So, some will ask this question, going back to this born that way. Please hear me, probably for some of us, even in this room, for me included, to even say that, that they can be born that way, but it doesn't mean God made them that way, right? It, Any more it, than he made you a liar or a thief. That's or exactly right. If, if somebody said to us, I've struggled all my life with anger, greed, and gossiping, you'd have no problem saying, well, that's because you were born in Adam, and that's all consistent with that nature. Oh, was it his nature or was it his nurturing? Please hear this. This is, this is one of those arguments out there, too. Is it nature or nurture? It has to be both, always, right? If you are born in the nature of Adam, and I've not, in my experience, met somebody that struggles with homosexuality that didn't have some nurturing along with that nature, whether it was a, a, a problem in a parental relationship, maybe their dad was over-aggressive or passive, maybe the mom was, maybe there was an abuse. There was something that nurtured this nature and it affirmed for them a lie. And they lived out of that deception, and now they willfully choose to live according to that deception. I would add to that, Tim. Even their own emotions 
can nurture themselves in that. Yes. I feel like this. Yes. And that's a very important yes. point to remember. And so, so I'll, I'll say this. I don't know if we're saying it when we should or shouldn't now, but um, the Scripture never... I don't think we should ever tell somebody, a homosexual, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a loving comment at all. Any more than I should say to you, you shouldn't feel something. I don't see Scripture saying you shouldn't feel something. Now, you shouldn't do something or you are not something. That's very different. Or you shouldn't believe something. Or you shouldn't believe something. Those are very different exhortations or encouragements. But you shouldn't feel that way is to throw away everything that they're feeling and telling you about and saying, can you identify? Can you identify with feeling something that you shouldn't do? It's on that basis that we can come and judge them in a loving way, in a manner that draws them to this freeing, redemptive love of Christ rather than points our finger at them and makes them run from the very love that is the thing that will free them from this situation. And I, and I say a lot of this was, was birthed out of, I see our younger generation being bombarded with a, a message that comes everywhere they turn something on. Here's the message, that you cannot be loving if you don't endorse all manner of these choices. And I'm telling you, we have a confused young church because that's a lie. Can I share how confused the church is? How many of you saw the news this week about the Pope's statement coming out about homosexuality and abortion? As soon as I read it, I called to Tim. I said, you've got to see this. Listen to what he said. A person once asked me, this is a direct quote, by the way. A person once asked me, Pope speaking, in a provocative manner, if I approved of homosexuality. I replied with another question. Tell me. When God looks at a gay person, does he endorse the existence of this person with love or does he reject and condemn this person? We must always consider the person. And the answer to that question is very clear. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. That's right. He came to save the world. But here's the key. Listen to the confusion. He goes on to say, the church can share its views on homosexuality, abortion, and other issues, but should not interfere spiritually with the lives of gays and lesbians. Hear the confusion? We're not to condemn them, but we're not to love them into righteousness and truth either. Let them go their own way. I'll tell you this, I don't let my babies go their own way. There's enough love there to reach out to them and help them along. That's confusion. Would we agree that every behavior that, that stems from our new birth that God prescribes, righteousness, holiness, would we agree that it's because God loves us? Would we agree that any alternate behavior that's not consistent with the character of God must therefore be detrimental to mankind? Isn't that, doesn't that only stand to reason? So do you hear to be silent in the face of behavior and, and thinking and patterns of belief systems that are intrinsically hurtful to people, even if they don't recognize it yet? They're against the design of God, even if they're consistent with their birth in Adam. To be silent to those people on that issue would be unloving. It would be condemning in its own. It would be to say, it doesn't matter where real love is. I don't want to ruffle your feathers. Yeah, Please, the, I, would only, I would only haggle with the word interfering there because mm -hmm. that's not even the tenor or the flavor of what I think love is supposed to do. I think it's going to intervene, and at some point, maybe if, the, if that person doesn't sense it, it feels like interfering. But can you imagine raising your kids without 
love and truth? Can you imagine if my kid came to me and this happens and says, um, my, my son says, oh, I hit, I hit my sister. Can you imagine if I, oh, well, you're a hitter. That's what you do. That's, that's totally consistent. Yeah. You, and there's a very important point, Tim, because what people are doing with this issue is they're taking one item off of that list right. and saying this is identity and therefore okay. That's right. we, we don't look at our kids and say, oh, you're a liar. Great, go ahead. But you can't do that exegetically. You can't do that hermeneutically. You can't take one thing out of that list and make it okay when the rest of the list is not okay. And I say you can't even do it relationally. No. If I told my kid, well, you're just a hitter. Is that loving? Is it loving to his sister whom he just hit? No. Is it loving to him with this kind of behavior that will be intrinsically hurtful for him for the rest of his life if he thinks that's what he should be doing? Do you see how love has got to go in? I mean, he should just play baseball if that's the case. If, if love's going to come in, I'm going to have to tell him, son, what you did was wrong. So, Daddy, I'm bad? No, sir. No. Who you are is right. Now, that's to the believer that struggles with this issue. The unbeliever that is in this issue, we can readily accept. Look how Jesus treated the unbelievers. Look how he treated sinners. You know who Jesus' firmest rebuke was to? It wasn't the sinners. You know who, who it was to? It was to the religious people. It was to those who pointed their finger at sinners rather than gathered by them and said, I understand where you are. Let me show you a love that will draw you out rather than push you out. Mm -hmm. He's our model. And so why do we address this issue? And Tim made this point in the first service. We've both been saying it. We've shared it with these people that came to us a couple of weeks ago. We're not just being asked to accept. We're being asked to celebrate. That's the problem. That's the problem. I, I, I can't celebrate homosexuality any more than I could celebrate lying or stealing or adultery. And so we have to address it. And isn't it interesting that nobody's asking to celebrate the latter? Right. Yeah. Do, do you see this, this issue? The reason we make it singular is because it is in a sense. Right. And so what I want to do, because we're moving on in time, Tim, Always. is uh, what? Always. <laughs> on the one hand, we have had a church that has been mean, spirited, and rude, and hateful towards homosexual people, and it has been wrong. But what we see coming to the church is a knee-jerk reaction to that, where no, 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 God loves them. We need to love them too. And we saw this teaching a couple weeks ago where these people in the church are using the scriptures to say that God never condemned homosexuality. He condemned um, immoral living. In other words, that it would be okay for a monogamous homosexual relationship. And that is where they came to the scriptures and did some things with them that as pastors, we decided we need to inform you of that so that you can be equipped for that because this is coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me... Because sometimes the emotional appeal yeah. can override yeah. the wisdom, right? Yeah. We can feel it so strongly, we, we'll tend to agree with it just based on our feelings rather than see it through the Scripture. That's right. And so I would share with you two passages. 
Paul told to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I'm charging you before the Lord Jesus Christ, my young pastor. Preach the word. Be diligent in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering, patience and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own desires shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth and shall be turned to fables. And that's what I want to point out is what's going on today. And Paul himself in Acts 20 said this to the elders, Stand on guard, guys among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Feed the church, because I know after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in among the flock, and from your own selves, from Christians, men will arise speaking perverse things. So this is necessary to equip the body of Christ. So Tim, one of the passages that they used was in Genesis chapter 2, with the creation of man. And I want to show you today how they're using this text to argue for a legitimate homosexual Christian union. Okay? You want to do that? Genesis sure. chapter 2. And so you understand some of the context. When we watched this video, this was a young man, a, a, a confessed homosexual Christian. We called, that's what he called himself, a homosexual Christian, right? Mm -hmm. um, very smart, very intelligent, had been taught. Uh, you could tell he was studied. And he said there are six passages in Scripture that even refer to homosexuality. All six of them are referred to negatively. But he was going to go on now a long teaching to show why they, these passages had been misinterpreted. But this is one of the passages, not where homosexuality is mentioned, but where he went to the design of God to try and prove that God has not only, it's not just that he loves the homosexual, but that he's actually designed it such. So watch what he, watch what he did with this. This is Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18. 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So this is God's idea. It was God who said it's not good for man to be alone. I need to make him a helper. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So you know the story. He used this text to say um, God was the one looking for a suitable helpmate. And when he made Adam, because Adam's bent was heterosexual, a suitable helper for him would have been a woman. However, the way God is, now this is what he was saying, designed me, not heterosexual. Remember, he's, mis, he's confused between design and birth. So how God has designed me is homosexual. So a helper suitable for me would have to, by necessity, be a homosexual. Do you see what he's done with it? And he's appealed to the emotional aspect of this. And he would say something like this. Go ahead. Is it fair? Do you think it's loving of God to tell me I could never have a monogamous committed relationship? And this is the context in which he said it. He said, in Matthew chapter 7, you'll know them by their fruits. Good teaching brings good fruit. Bad teaching brings bad fruit. If I'm forced to be alone because of the way I was designed by God, 
then that's not good teaching because I'm going to have to live the rest of my life alone. And you it's, see that? And it's God who wants to find me a helper. Right. Right? Do you see how he's attributing this back to God? That's exactly what he was doing. Three things I have to say to that. First of all, Matthew 7 was not talking about false teaching necessarily, but false teachers. And you will know the false teachers by the life that they live. Good fruit and bad fruit. Does that make sense? The second thing I would say to this is, what's the number one rule of interpreting the Bible? How long you been here? Context. Go in the context of Genesis 2, and let's go back to chapter 1. And look at the context. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female. He doesn't say he created them male and male. Doesn't say he created them female and female. He says male and female. And look at the next verse. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and, keyword. You cannot have multiplication of the human race from a same gender union. Context. Thirdly, thing I would say, one of the main rules of interpreting the Bible is let the Bible speak out. And what I mean by that is take always the simplest reading. So when it says, and he made a helper suitable for him, and he made Eve. A difficult reading is to say, well, that was good for Adam, but it's not good for a homosexual. Do you see that? That is a hard reading. That is a forced reading. That is what we tend to call eisegesis, taking a position and speaking it into the text instead of exegesis, letting the text speak out to determine your position. Make sense? Okay. So this young man had become a scholar on six passages, right? When you talk about eisegesis, he was speaking into these to reinterpret them so that the church could now be what it's supposed to be, loving and accepting, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's part of our contention is the church is to be loving and accepting by heralding the truth of this, not by rejecting it. Yeah. You're going to do the next? Let's passage. go to Romans 1. <coughs> go ahead and take this one. Too. In Romans 1 he used what we just read, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire toward one another. He used that word natural to say what was natural towards that person. So remember his context. For him, the natural function, being that it was God-given that he was homosexual, the natural function would be to be homosexual. Do you see what he's saying? and that anything unnatural would be to go other than according to his unique design. In other words, since I was born a homosexual, that's my natural. For me to leave that natural and go to a woman, can't you see even Romans 1 supports that? I'm not supposed to do that. Which, but Go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, go ahead. Go, I, I'm def- Why do you do that? Go I, ahead. Would, I okay. honor you. Do you in that teaching, Notice he couldn't honor me back. In the, I'm honoring you by doing your request. In that teaching, in that kind of theology, the homosexual never has hope for true repentance and restoration because if that's what they believe, then doing anything that they perceive as unnatural would be a sin. Okay, and go back to these lists. Tom, that would be like you saying, God made me a liar. God made me a luster. God made me envious and covetousness. Anything in that list, my friends, 
is a result of being born in Adam. And one of the things they said, you know, he was, he was saying that there's something defective with me because I was born in Adam. Yes! You got it. <laughs> We're all defective in Adam. That's right. That's of course, saints, of course. There was something wrong with you. And there was something major wrong with me. And we needed to be birthed out of it and put in Christ. And this does not mean, Timothy, that we're not going to struggle. Right. We're, we're not saying to the homosexual person, oh, you're not going to struggle if you just get into Christ. Good night. Do you study with gossip, uh, struggle with gossip? Uh, some of you should have said that louder than that. I know you. <laughs> Do you struggle with lust? You struggle with envy and greed? and how about, Okay, pride? Of course you're going to struggle. And that's why the church is here to help you in the struggle. Isn't that what we're all about? We're supposed to help each other in our struggle. But where there should be no struggle is who and what identity I am. Yeah. That is too clear in Father's Word. Let me just show you since we're in Romans. Can Go I ahead. do this? And look at, look at in verse 19. Look what he says. It says, man has suppressed the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident. What does it say? Within them. Do you realize there's a remnant left over of an evidence that we are, that we were, when we're born in Adam, there's some remnant in man. It may be marred, it may be scarred, but there's something left over that cries out, that knows something about God, that knows something that we have to suppress in order to try to affirm our lostness. You know what that is? It's that we want to be loved. The homosexual that's sitting across in the saying, I want to be loved, and this is the way I think I can be loved. And, and I want to be accepted. And, and that's evident within them. It's on that basis. It's, on the, it's there that we can have empathy and, and, and love for them and acceptance and compassion and say, you know what? I understand that. I have not necessarily struggled with it that way, but I can understand wanting to be loved to any degree. Right. I get that. I want to come back to that issue of it's okay to struggle. You know, normally we don't script this, but this is such a tough issue. Tim and I have been sitting down dialoguing all week, and we tried to outline. We haven't followed the outline, but... Uh, <laughs> I can't. You, you made a statement this week, and, and I wrote it down. It's okay to struggle with sin. It is not okay when you don't struggle with sin. That is a very powerful line. And the key is, if you, can, if you embrace that you have a false identity, it won't be a struggle for you. Can I say it a different way You're now? simply living out of your identity. It's okay to struggle with sin. It's not okay to struggle in sin. Mm -hmm. I think there are times where God frees us from something, and that's not necessarily a struggle for you in that arena anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So I don't want to bring a struggle there, but if we are in sin and you're not struggling with it as a believer, that's a problem. That is a problem. That's a, you've turned a deaf ear to a very loud voice. Mm -hmm. And the writer of Hebrews says, Timmy, that what happens is your conscience will become cauterized, numb. In other words, when you continue into a sin, at first it's like this, where are you going, son? I know, Father. You know, and then you keep on doing it. He's still going, where are you going, son? But you know what you hear? Because your conscience becomes numbed to the voice of God. And I want to address this issue of struggle one step further, Tim. And I've said this many times here. In Ephesians 6, it says we wrestle against the spiritual forces of darkness. 
But in Galatians 5, it says we war against our flesh. The greater battle, is it a wrestle or is it a war? The war, that's where the battle, our battle is with our flesh. Our battle is with those old patterns of life. So in any senior area of our life, it's going to be a struggle sometimes, guys. But that's what the body of Christ is for. And the calling is to come into the light and say, I'm, I'm warring so that others can help you in the war. I just had this thought. Because this is some of the accusation. How can we tell people that what they're feeling is wrong? Isn't that really bottom line for some people? How can we say to them what you're feeling is wrong? Please hear me. I don't think we should be telling them they should or should not feel a certain way, but what they're feeling is sinful. Listen, I have many sinful feelings. Do you? What defines that? The Word of God. When I see His Word, I realize, oh, that feeling is not pure and innocent and loving. Can I interject a little bit there? Yeah. I don't know that I would call the feeling sinful. I would put it not in line with truth. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is it really sinful to have a feeling? Yeah, because I, I was trying to find some way to say, I don't think we should tell people how to feel because your feelings are right. just what you They're feel. They're just feelings. <laughs> but that, okay, that feeling is tied to a sinful belief somewhere. There you go. And, I, and, and when we, when we want to throw out the truth, we actually placate sin. Mm -hmm. We actually endorse it. Mm -hmm. and, and please hear this. I said it before. Those who want to defend the righteousness of God by throwing out his love forfeit both. But those who wanted to herald the love of God by throwing out his righteousness also forfeit both. It is the new covenant believer that can sit in Christ and go, I see where love and righteousness meet in the person of Jesus, and I see how he loved the sinner without endorsing and condoning the sin, so I see how we as a church now can do the very same. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. That's good. There's one other issue, and we'll be done. I want to take you back to 1 Corinthians 6 again, and again alert you to what these people in the church are doing with this. In 1 Corinthians 6, notice towards the end of verse 9, he says, adulterers, effeminate, and then the King James says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, one of the things this gentleman said is, you know, it, the Bible didn't even use the word homosexual until the 1950s with modern translations. And that the word really doesn't mean homosexuality. That a monogam again, that a monogamous homosexual relationship would be okay. Well, listen, I went to the Greek text. The word in that passage is iron. Did I say it was iron? Koite. Male and koite from which we get the word coitus, sexual intercourse. It simply says male sexual intercourse. And that's in the list. Well, when I shared that with this person by phone, as we tried to, by email, as we tried dialoguing, they wrote back and said, well, that doesn't, that, that might be talking about prostituting males. It might be talking about an older man with a young boy. It doesn't necessarily say monogamous relationship. That's right. Gang, that's reading into the text again. Let the word speak out and say what it says. Male coitus. Not a right thing to do. It's in the list. Does it make sense? The, their appeal, this guy's appeal was, why can't God... Or, or God, he believed God does. But why can't God endorse a monogamous, committed, homosexual relationship? Godly. 
this man is a Christian. And the appeal was so strong in terms of the emotions that these teachings, these teachings were being eisegeted out to reinterpret and, and affirm what he believed already. And, and when we heard this, this was our thinking. When this comes through the church with this appeal for love, when it's going to reinterpret truth, it's not going to throw all truth out. It's going to use truth to say what they're saying, but it's not interpreted correctly. Mm-hmm. We're in a great danger. Mm-hmm. I work with too many young people to know we're very confused. We, this older generation, myself included, we didn't grow up in a world this pressurized on this topic. I'm not saying it wasn't there. It's always been there. It's, it's written in Romans. This is nothing new, but the way it's being presented is. And the way it's, Frank said a key, we're not just being asked to accept this. Oh, can't you go along with this? That's not what's being asked of us. We're being asked to celebrate it, to herald it as though this is what it's supposed to have always been. Mm -hmm. This is what good looks like. This is what love looks like. This is what a free society looks like. And how could anybody disagree with that? That's what's coming to our young people. And they they are now the new bigots and the narrow-minded and the haters because they will herald the truth. It is the method that we use that will convince not only the world, but now evermore, mm-hmm. even the church, that our God is love and truth embodied. They're redefining love. That, that's how you put it simply. Uh, I can't help but think of Hebrews. Pursue peace, but not without righteousness. The love has to be a righteous love. It is. It is a righteous love. That's right. I want to come back to where Tim started. Romans 1.16. And and the reason I want to close there is this. In my last correspondence with this person, they kind of warned me that I don't want to be the tail and not the head. In other words, and they went on to say, our culture is changing. And in 20 to 30 years, if you're still heralding what you're heralding, you're going to be irrelevant. My friends, please hear me. The goal of the New Testament was never to be relevant. The question of the New Testament is not, hey, what works? Paul, Timothy read for us these words. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone that believes. Our goal is to herald the truth in love, with love with our arm around somebody shepherding them into life and i really as i said earlier don't think the church has done a very good job of that you want to close in anything i want to say this i'll I'll close with this we're not so naive as to think that there aren't people in this room right now that aren't struggling with this issue if you are Do what God told Adam. Come into the light, son. Take those fig leaves off. Let me clothe you, God says. I guarantee you, you come to us. I promise we will not reject you. We will not accept the behavior. But we're going to accept you. And we're going to love on you and teach you and disciple you with the freedom to fail along the journey. But gosh, you got to get in the journey. 
Don't surrender to the lies that are being proclaimed by our, our country that are soon going to be proclaimed in the church. Guys, Jesus said this and he meant it. You can come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's not just with homosexuality. It's with any closet sin that you can't defeat in your life. You're never going to defeat it if you walk alone. You know how many one another's are in the New Testament? I don't, but there are a lot. There's a lot of them. Teach one another, love one another, confess your sins one to another, love one another, serve one another, and on and on and on it goes. You can't do another if you're, if you're a Lone Ranger gang. Something just hit me with what you said, Frank. I know we're closing. But you said we're going to love and accept you, but we're not going to accept the behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, condoning sin is a very subtle form of rejection. Yeah. It's a powerful form of it, but it's subtle because to condone sin looks like I'm accepting everything about somebody. But it's actually one of the strongest ways to reject somebody because sin by its nature is intrinsically hurtful. Yeah. It's against the character of God. And to condone that at any level is to reject the person you're trying to accept by doing it. Mm -hmm. That's why only God, through the the person of Jesus Christ knows how to do this but he has become present within us yeah. in Christ so that he will do this through us to a world that is confused by it and to a church that's becoming increasingly more confused by it mm -hmm. let's let's be his body yeah and you know what I don't even like the phrase I will not accept the behavior it's this I will I don't agree with the behavior it's probably a better way to say it I'm gonna help you with the behavior right. father I pray for the church here today I pray. I, I can't help but think of the words of Micah. What does the Lord require of you? But to walk humbly and with mercy. Father, may Grace Life Fellowship Saints be very humble people. Because all the life they have was a gift. The grace was a gift. The mercy was a gift. The forgiveness was a gift. The righteous standing is a gift. There's no room for pride. And may we walk with mercy, the same mercy that's been bestowed upon us. May we judge ourselves first that we might lovingly judge others, stepping into their lives with the love of Christ, the truth of a Father's Word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. Listen close. Prayer team's going to be up over here on this side. You have a need, you have a concern, a burden, come over there. Tim and I are going to be over here because we realize there might be some questions. We don't have time to deal with all of them. You got questions? Come up here and we'll talk about them. Q&A time. We do need to pick up the chairs because the kids are meeting tonight and six more months to go. We won't have to do that ever again. Go be the church. <laughs>